Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So I think this heightened interest, like being on our devices and encouraging our kids to really use them productively for school, really does encourage girls to get more involved in STEM and to ask those critical questions and go off and research and figure out how to solve these problems. Hey, thanks for listening to We're Momming today. If you're listening on a smart speaker or website, make sure to find me, Lauren Simonetti, on your favorite podcast platform like Apple Podcasts, Google, TuneIn, and Stitcher. And don't forget to leave me a review. today with Letitia Barr, a tech-savvy mama, about digital parenting, which is exactly what we're doing these days. Ironically, Letitia, because we're seeing our kids maybe more than we would ever like to, yet we have to instruct them on how to handle things virtually Um, and also, you know, monitor their screen time and things like that. Um, Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I think we should start with some schools going back to class, some about to go back. How do we best prep for what is going to happen at the start of the 2020 school year? That's a really good question because the start of the 2020 school year looks so different from every single year that we've had as parents and certainly as teachers. I'm a middle school computer science teacher in addition to a parent of two teens and a blogger at Tech Savvy Mama. And this is unlike anything that I've encountered professionally in my career so far. So I think first of all, it's really important to acknowledge our kids' feelings because regardless of how old they are, whether they're a kindergartner and just starting school for the first time or they're a high school sophomore, junior, a senior, you know, this is different for everybody. It's certainly different for us as parents, but it's also really different for our kids. And I think, you know, understanding and just recognizing that what they're going through is hard is really important. It opens up the door for a conversation and it also helps to support their social and emotional learning. As parents and as educators, we're really focused on SEL this year. And that's because we understand that our kids are confronting something that's so very different in terms of their education. And the way- SEL? Um, SEL is social emotional learning. So- oh. Yes. Social emotional learning is something that it's an, it's an educator term, but you'll probably see it pop up more and more. But it's really acknowledging our kids' feelings and really building some supports around that. And so I know we as a school staff at my school and my school system, I'm in Montgomery County, Maryland, um, the conversation around how we can support our kids during this difficult time is really critical to learning because without that piece, it's really hard. So you as parents play a big role in that as well, because we know our kids are sad about not being able to go to school and be with their friends. We know that they're sad about not being able to interact with their teachers in a way they're used to. So by acknowledging that, that's a huge piece that you at home, parents can really help their kids with as you kind of get off on a good start to the start of school. And 
after we've assessed how they're feeling about things, how can we best set them up to actually learn? Because the end of last year, and I know it was a crash course for so many school districts, for so many teachers, maybe not you teaching computer science, (laughs) being so tech efficient as it is, it might have been a little bit easier. But frankly, it was a crash course for so many districts. And look, parents complained, my kid did not learn. And I think the teachers would agree. Right. And I think too, you know, last year, I really like to call what we ended the school year with. It was really crisis schooling. We didn't know when our school system shut down, we, you know, said that we would be shut down for two weeks and then things would be reassessed and then reassessed and reassessed until here we were the last day of school. So it was unexpected. It was not what we had planned. It was not the curriculum that any of us expected to teach in the way that we were used to. And same thing with our kids. It wasn't how they were used to learning. And I think school systems around the country put together this patchwork and we as parents really did the best we could in terms of our spaces and in terms of supporting our kids while we were trying to work at the same time. So I think, you know, that, that was hard for all of us, right? Um, it's funny that you said we thought this would be like two weeks and then reassess because I remember packing my office to move my studio to my home. And I was like, Oh, I only need stuff, clothing, whatever for about two weeks time two weeks you know um yeah it's like five months (laughs) so I I think this timeline has just really caught so many people by surprise and and we don't know the end of the of the timeline so you know my my good friend is redoing her basement Mm -hmm. and she's almost done but half of it she's like "I, I can't get furniture because I might be buying desks to put in there not only for my kids but she's thinking of micro schooling Yep. She's like, maybe I get a series of desks for, you know, the neighborhood kids. Right. Who, You're setting up a pod, right? Pod. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think we're all assessing what worked from the spring and what didn't work. And being really realistic about that is important for us as parents, because that's how we're going to get this through this next phase, regardless of how long it might be. So for your friend, I think it's really smart for her to assess her space and to be to make it a flexible space where it could be used for learning. And then maybe later she'll clear out all those desks and turn it back into a living room. But for right now, we just don't know. So flexibility really is key. What is the best physical space that we can create for our children to help them to pay attention to the computer more and just absorb more as they're trying to learn remotely. Yeah. I mean, I think this spring we were all doing the best with what we had. Our kids were working at the kitchen table. Maybe they were on, you know, iPads instead of laptops or devices that were really a good fit. So I would suggest assessing your space is really important. Try to carve out a dedicated workspace for your kids, regardless of how old they are. I know my teens both set up spaces in their in their bedrooms. They have large desks in there. We kind of revamp things for them once we knew what we would be virtually learning again this fall. But having, they have a dedicated space in there that is their workspace. It's separate from their sleep space. Working in bed just really is not a good idea for any kid. So try to separate those things. But having a surface where they can work is important. Having their materials that they need just at arm's length is a really good idea, especially for younger kids. I know when I was teaching first grade, my tables had these baskets of supplies on them, you know, crayons, glue, markers, whatever kids needed, they were right there at their tables. That's also a really good thing to do in your home learning environment. Have the materials that your kindergartner, your middle school, your high schooler needs right there so they can grab them. That also helps them be more independent so they can leave you alone and work independently. I know that's also so important for us as parents as we're trying to manage schooling and get work done at the same time. Exactly. 
Exactly. <laughs> um, what is the best device that, that you would recommend? It, it's a laptop over an, um, a tablet or a desktop? You know, I think it depends on your school system and what things are being used. I know in our school system, our school system's handing out, we handed out Chromebooks in the spring. We're continuing, we're continuing to deploy Chromebooks for student and teacher use. Um, I've always been a Mac user personally. So I think it's whatever device um, your school system is kind of recommending to be used. And I know Chromebooks, you know, generally used with the Chrome browser. If you have another laptop um, and your school system use Chromebooks, just try to mirror the kinds of things that your district or your school is doing. So your kids um, will be set up from a technology perspective too. Some school systems believe in iPads and they're using iPads. So that's perfectly appropriate as well. But you know, this could be a huge investment in terms of money for families. So also be creative with what you have and try to figure out if there's a workaround where you might not need to spend any money or if there might be a way you can tap into service providers like Comcast has internet essentials where you might be able to get devices for less. I mean, even ask your employer, honestly, Letitia, yes. I do because for me to have a studio in my home, it requires um, one, I think it's like three iPads to beam um, images on the screen. And, you know, we were at the point where it's like every device in our home was being used either by us for work for this studio or for our children. Right. So we were going to go out just because we felt bad. And I was just going to buy myself a, um, a personal laptop I already had devices but like I said they were locked up and my husband's like just ask work I bet you they can give you a loaner or you know replace your office computer and, and give you that um, at home and that's exactly what they did so you'd be surprised if you kind of just raise your hand and inquire with your boss that maybe they can help out because let's face it how many thousands of dollars can we spend on technology Absolutely. And the fact that there's probably technology sitting in your offices that's going unused. I know a lot of parents, you know, we really were clamoring to get back into their workspaces so they could get that second monitor for home um, and plug that into their work laptop or their work desktop once they were able to do that. So definitely reach out to your employer. I think that that's a first step before you go out and spend any of your own money. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Good to know. Okay. We'll be back with We're Mommy today right after this. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. We're back on We're Momming Today with Letitia Barr, a tech-savvy mama. In fact, I think that's the name of your blog, right, Letitia? It sure is. <laughs> and we're talking about digital uh, parenting. We just covered virtual learning, how best to do it. And, um, you know, there's been a huge push, and you were at the forefront of this, for especially girls to get more into STEM, science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Do you think what we're witnessing as a society right now increases those numbers? I think it does. We're, I mean, as just where we are in terms of schooling, kids are on their devices even more. And generally, when you look at the innovations in STEM, they've come from somebody who has recognized a problem and has worked really hard to solve them. Certainly, we know there are many challenges right now um, throughout not only education, but also in the field of health as we're looking towards vaccines and science to solve some of these really critical problems for us as a society. So I think this heightened interest, like being on our devices, 
classes and encouraging our kids to really use them productively for school really does encourage girls to get more involved in STEM and to ask those critical questions and go off and research and figure out how to solve these problems. From girls to old girls, I have an aunt who um, is a therapist, a psychologist, and uh, she she's older. She can barely, she doesn't have a smartphone, she has a flip phone, and she could barely turn on a computer. Yet she loves telehealth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, Aunt Ellen, wait a minute, you're actually doing this? I mean, she could be retired, she's choosing to work. She loves it, absolutely loves it, and I, I'm just, I'm shocked. I'm like, are you getting a smartphone now? (laughs) You never know, right? (laughs) I love it. I mean, I think telehealth is so fascinating, right? You think of all the times that we've spent waiting in doctor's offices as parents just for that well visit. We've probably exposed ourselves to way more germs than we had when we walked in the place. And telehealth is an amazing field. My neighbor is a nurse for the Discovery Channel and had always worked on site in their health clinic. But two, she also has been doing telehealth. And at first, I know she was really skeptical, but I see her, you know, in between her telehealth calls in her garden, checking on her plants, you know, dressed up, looking great. And then she'll go back in and she'll meet with another, she'll meet with another client and make sure that they're well. So it's an amazing field right now. So yeah. My neighbors are always like, in between shots today, Lauren, when they see me like, you know, dressed up (laughs) from the top up outside for a little bit. Um, Yes. (laughs) That's all of us right now, by the way. (laughs) You're not alone. (laughs) Oh boy. Um, So Are there virtual supplements that you would recommend that parents can tap into to help our kids of any age as they do this hybrid system of going back to the classroom, back to the kitchen table? Um, There are a lot of resources out there for families and, you know, you can certainly supplement your learning in a whole number of ways. I just wrote a piece for uh, Frontier Communications on the way educational programming through your television can be a wonderful resource. So many times we feel like we need to go out and get something new and pay for something when really there's a lot of resources at our disposal already. I mean, I think about Disney Plus and all their great Disney nature programming that can really inspire kids to be more curious and learn about the world around them. I mean, and then things like OutSchool for the youngest ages, where I saw parents paying, you know, OutSchool's interesting because you can pay for a one-off class to teach a single skill. You could teach us, you could pay for a series. And all of these things are taught by educators. So they are very educational. They're very well done in terms of the planning and the learning. Um, And so there's a lot of different things out there. For older kids, I know it's on the verge of um, launching something called Tract App. T-R-A-C-T. That's a really interesting thing geared towards high school, you know, middle and high school students to really provide rich learning experiences about the things they're interested in. So I would encourage parents to really just continue fostering your kids' interests outside of school and just see where it may lead. Well, speaking of interests outside of school, what about social? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I know most families now have... um, uh, how to, responsible play dates. You know, there's certain kids that you're getting together with and only those families and, and not others. I mean, is there, a, a, without widening our, our circle too much, or especially when the weather gets colder and you can't go outside as easily and you might have to be in someone's house for a, a play date or a get together. Are there any tips that you have for, you know, planning virtual get togethers? 
Well, I would say just like in the past where we wouldn't send our kids over to a stranger's house, you know, it's still really important to know who the friends are, but also know who the friends are and just know how they've been safe because ultimately you want to keep your family safe. So if you are planning those in-person play dates, it's totally okay to ask, you know, where have you been going? Do you feel like you've been self-isolating in your small circle like we have and gauge the risk? Um, as opposed to the reward and always be okay with saying, you know what, I don't think this is a good idea right now. I really need to put my family's health first. That's a really important thing for us to all realize right now that it's okay to say no to these things. And as parents, that's hard. We do like to try to say yes, especially when it comes to our kids, but it might not be the best idea if you're immunocompromised or have a relative or friend who is. So that's certainly important. But I think too, you know, video games for so long have gotten such a bad rap. You know, kids, there's been been so many things in the news about kids being screen addicted to video games. But I look at my son and I look at the way he's able to stay in touch with his friends and be social through video games. That's a really powerful thing right now. And certainly social media is powerful too. Our kids need ways to stay connected to each other. And certainly video gaming and social media, it, those are two really big ways that they're doing that. So, so let's, keep an eye on those things too, though, as parents. <laughs> yeah. That, well, that's what I was going to ask you. Um, Speaking of social media and, you know, playing video games, at what point do you have to regulate it? Well, I think it's important to know the difference between between productive screen time and passive screen time, right? Passive screen time is when you're just kind of watching something to watch it, binge watching something and not really getting a return on what you're watching. It's just really something that's for pleasure. Productive screen time is when maybe kids are interacting socially, when they're watching a YouTube video, for example, that teaches them a skill, or when they're interacting with a friend via FaceTime to solve a problem on a homework issue that they can't figure out themselves. So I think it's a good idea instead of limiting the amount of screen time, be mindful of how your kids are using screens, because obviously we're on screens more than ever with virtual schooling. So the rules about screen time, I think, have changed and we need to look yeah. at them differently. No, you're right. A hundred percent. And, you know, I think you're in a, a, a better position than, than me and most parents out there because you understand you know, you have a YouTube channel and you have all your social media accounts and you blog, you get this. But I'm curious if your kids are able to teach you anything to show that mom's not so cool when it comes to her tech savviness. Well, you know, it's interesting because my kids are always, my, my kids having, having teenagers now, right? They've seen, I've been blogging since they were very little. To give you uh, some perspective, I started blogging in 2008. At the time, my daughter was four. And this was before smartphones, social media, apps. I mean, the landscape then was very different. Now she's 16. So I've been doing this for 12, 13 years now. And so they've kind of grown up watching me use technology and being mindful about the kinds of things that I'm posting online. So in terms of their digital footprint, they totally understand that. But that's not to say that they're not teaching me things at the same time. You know, we've had a lot of conversations in our house about things like TikTok. And yes, um, <laughs> TikTok. But it's interesting because that in our house, that's the line in the sand. My teenagers don't want to join. And it was interesting when... My 16-year-old was talking to me about it. She's like, mom, but they're going to take all my data. I don't really Seriously? want that. Yeah, she said that. And I was like, wow, okay then. Tech savvy parenting done right. Like who knew? And so to this day, she's resisted. And she's like, oh, oh my. My friends, send me, my friends just send me the TikToks that are good anyways. I don't really feel like I need to join. There have been some weak moments where she's thought about 
downloading the app and creating her own account. And then she's like, yeah, I don't really know. So I'll let you know when she changes her mind. But you know, she, my, my kids are always finding interesting things that serve as great blog fodder for me and things to think about. Um, you know, we've certainly seen TikTok evolve from being something that's, you know, really cool, fun dances and songs that have been propelled to the top of the charts to being um, an interesting tool to educate and inform. So that's also interesting to see how the tools that our kids know and love are kind of shifting in this landscape too. So I'm always learning things from my kids. I was also always learning things from my students. So I kind of miss those moments where they're like, hey, Mrs. Yeah. Barr, come check out this cool YouTube video or whatever. But you know, I see, okay, I had no idea that TikTok could educate, but I fear, and I think this happened with Facebook a little bit, you know, once like grandma starts on TikTok <laughs> or, you know, it's educational in any way or informative, the kids like migrate to something else. Pretty you much. Know? Yeah. So yeah. I've resisted Facebook. I mean, I've resisted TikTok too. Our whole family is not on TikTok. It's like the only social media platform I'm not on or we're not on as a family. So yeah. <laughs> I'll, so, let, I'll let them have that one. <laughs> yeah. As of now, my daughter will start school in September. It's a small How school. Exciting. So I'm not, I'm not really worried about the social distance aspect that much. Mm -hmm. However, her birthday is one month after that. And I'm mm -hmm. kind of like, what do I do? What do I do? And I've thought of a whole bunch of different things. And I thought maybe I just invite her class and I tell the parents, you know, it's your, it's only, it's not a family birthday. It's like just you guys, you know, on the, uh, on the list, it's in our backyard. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, I don't even know if I can do something like that. So let's say I have to throw her a virtual birthday party. Any tips instead of doing like the parade, which, you know, it's cute. All the cars drive by, and, you know, you do your whole uh, happy birthday from the rooftop of your car thing. Is there mm -hmm. anything else I can do for her birthday if I can't have her class in my backyard? <laughs> yeah. You know, I just saw a friend of mine held a uh, birthday party, an outdoor social distance birthday party with an out and it was an outdoor movie night. And she took a picture from the back. All the chairs were six feet apart. I think everybody had their own snack bowl that she handed out to them like as they got there. So I hopefully she you are able to do something in person for her. But if not, you know, there's there are ways that you can do it through video chatting to make it more fun. I think of tools like Kahoot. Kahoot is a tool that kids are really familiar with because teachers are using it for fun quizzes. So to use that to make a fun game or um, a Jackbox party pack games that use individual devices and shared screens to kind of add that fun element, I think that would be really great. Um, invite friends maybe to compete in some trivia, do some karaoke. You could do a Netflix party, wa a Netflix Netflix watch party as a movie night, even yeah. though you're not together. So I think there's a lot of, you know, and they can maybe even like do share some TikTok dances. Who knows? I mean, it's <laughs> <Right>? so funny. <laughs> I, maybe two weeks ago, I had to do this story uh, for work about um, – virtual weddings, like being the thing, people mm -hmm. are basically saving the equivalent of a down payment on their house by hiring a virtual wedding planner ah. and inviting everybody that they want. And if you don't have, you know, open bar, cocktail hour, and that, you know, banquet hall, and you're just maybe getting flowers for the backdrop of where you're going to get married so everybody can see it on Zoom, mm -hmm. but you coordinate everything where you still get the speeches and it's just really rolled out beautifully on the computer. Uh -huh. But a lot of people are actually thinking that this is a good idea, a virtual wedding planner to coordinate a pretty affordable virtual wedding. 
I mean, and then you can buy a house. That's that's genius. What I I know, and then you start out on this great foot, right? As a couple, and you have a down payment on your house. That's actually genius. And I don't see why things like that couldn't apply to virtual birthday parties, where you gather friends from around the country. You know, I think about my teenagers and how they have friends from all over these days, and uh, they gather everyone together virtually for a really fun celebration. And maybe you, as a parent, you go to you order a bunch of balloons that you pick up from the party store, or those really fun numbers that are giant, and you have those yeah. in the background. Yeah, absolutely. Everybody brings their own cake to the call, right? <laughs> oh, where we've come. It's, it's know, really unbelievable. But uh, Leticia, did you want to add anything? Any other tips? Or I, I mean, I know you're just like a wealth of information that so many normal parents don't have. So please share. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I've written about all these topics, like how to help your kids have a great virtual school year. I even wrote a post about um, things to do for a virtual birthday party. So all these topics and more, including like the best technology you should get for your at-home learning experience. Uh, listeners can go and find those things on my blog, techsavvymama.com. You can also find me on social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, etc. Tech Savvy Mama as well. So thank you so much for having me. This has been great. And I really hope that everybody has a great school year and we're able to get back to in-person everything sometime soon. Amen. And best <laughs> of luck to everybody out there. Indeed. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.